This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jin Wilkin and JT English. What's up, guys? Summer's what's up? Summertime. Summer is what's up. You guys see any July 4th fireworks? Uh, we went to bed. Okay. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I mean... We did. We did lots of fireworks. We we went for it, man. We didn't do any of the big ones because it's illegal here. In Colorado, you can do basically huh. anything legally except for set off fireworks, which huh. is just a strange kind of kind of thing but it was kind of rainy too it's this is gonna blow your mind it is 64 okay, don't, degrees don't here speak right that now. it's july 5th uh, Brutal. we were we were supposed <laughs> to have degrees. a uh, in lieu of fireworks we were supposed to have a drone show uh which i thought that sounded mm. pretty cool and then we had a massive yeah. thunderstorm that came through and didn't happen and you can't fly Apparently drones not. in a thunderstorm huh? take that take That's that right. robots <laughs> Chat GPT. AI is taking over. Here's a little rain. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, I was having a great summer. And then out of nowhere, it got even better. (laughs) Because in the mail, I received. Here we go. Stop. (laughs) This right here. And I I was really, the day that this came, I was thinking to myself, I I was wondering, am I really a theologian? (laughs) And then I got a book that said, you are a theologian. And then I got a little flag that told me yeah, I am a yeah. theologian. And this was the this was the summertime reminder mm-hmm. I needed. And maybe you're listening uh, to this right now and you're thinking, I need to be reminded that I'm a theologian as well. <laughs> well, actually, when this releases, how do you like this for a segue and a plug? I mean, I'm giving you guys, <laughs> I'm giving you the whole road right now. If you're listening to this, you're actually listening to this a few days before this releases. So it's not too late to pre-order your copy of you are a theologian. I saw you guys got yours too. How does it really feel? I'm, 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 I'm joking. I've already read about half of it. It's fantastic. It's so good. I'm so proud to know both of you. Audience members, you should get this book. It's exactly the kind of book that we needed. How do you guys feel about it being out in the wild? Before I take that on-road and very <laughs> kind introduction, Kyle, I'm going to say, Jen, I took this out. Jen put a footnote in there. We, we kind of have a little section about, you know, convincing everybody that they're theologians. And there's a footnote. And it I read it and I was shocked. It said, except for Kyle <laughs> Worley. I was like, Jen, we cannot. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we can- I, I'm no. so glad you did that. That would have been a huge morale blow yeah. for me. Uh, yeah. No. And Kyle, I mean, we, we want to say this from the beginning, too. You have been mm-hmm. so helpful in helping us think about projects like this and doing this. And I mean, you've just been such a champion for not just the yep. book, but the topic. And we're thankful for that. And love love uh love you and how you've supported us even through that project this book is overdue yeah. we kind of signed this project you know 18 months ago two years ago and it was one i mean it was probably one of the harder things that i've done in ministry because all of the theology that i've done has been unhelpfully too academic like unhelpfully high and i think jen's theology has been done from the context of the local church to, to try mm-hmm. to find our voices for a place that would be helpful for all our goal was let's write a book that is an introduction to theology for every single christian whether they have a phd or whether they came to faith you know five minutes ago and don't have a high literacy rate like how do we write something that helps people know and love god more so i'm pumped i'm pumped for it to kind of get out there into the wild and for us to receive feedback. And, and ultimately with the book we wrote wasn't a, here's the end all be right. all in theology. It was, let's invite people to a conversation to begin to learn about God and to say, I'm not sure I understand mm-hmm. that. I'm going to go open my Bible. Like if somebody reads this book and then goes to their Bible because of it and says, is yeah. that what it says? Or what else does the Bible say? Or how else can I think about that? Man, that's a huge win for us because we want people to not just read the book, but to step in the vocation of thinking about God and loving him well. Yeah, I'm excited too. Uh, Jeff read it 
yesterday, day before yesterday, he finished it and he gave it the big thumbs up. And at that point I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Cause it's like, you, you're like, I think we did what we wanted to do with it, but yeah, it has to pass the Jeff test for me. And so he was like, I loved it. I want to write a version for uh, kids. And I was like, okay, Ooh, all right. Um, and, you know, Jeff has been in, he went through the training program with JT a couple of years, and uh, three years, I think he did the training program with, with you, JT. And so for mm-hmm. him to read it, he's like, I, you know, I'm familiar with where this is probably headed and I, and I loved it. And so, yeah, his opinion matters a lot to me. But it's been really fun to start seeing people get advanced copies and, and start posting quotes and everything. And we're really hoping it'll be helpful. And for people who followed my Bible studies, this is actually a really important idea for you to latch onto because as we talk about in our our friendly argument that JT and I've had at times on the podcast, you need lenses for how you read the scriptures and you need scripture to understand the lenses you read it through. And so this book is talking about those lenses. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, hey, I I was joking at the top, kind of half joking, but I'm really excited about this. It is really good what I've read so far. And I know the the best part is going to be the rest. Did you find yourself in there already where we told a story about you? Have you gotten to that part? I I have seen I've seen a little bit I've seen it's a little like, bit. Where's Waldo? Only it's where's Warley. There we go. I'll take it. Um, oh oh, there hey, we that go. could be a thing. Yeah. It'd be really tough because it would just be like me wearing a black shirt and black jeans and a sea of other things. It'd be pretty inconspicuous, I think. But hey, listen, audience members, really, you should go get this book. It's coming out July 18th. So this podcast that you're listening to right now came out July 13th. Go find it wherever you get your books at. July 18th is when it releases. And uh, I'm really excited for you guys to read it and tell them what you think about it. Uh, Okay, that's not what we're talking about today. I titled this episode, The Right Time Is Now. And for a lot of our audience I, I, f- I feel like it's always surprising to me that they don't know that there are there's this other thing that we do. And so I want to just spend a few moments kind of talking about why, why we do um, what we do. The podcast is a part of that. The writing that JT has done, that Jen has done, that JT and Jen have now done, the writing I plan to do, the other podcasts that we release, there's like this big high level project in mind for all of us, which is discipleship. That's kind of like this, this is the goal. We want to see disciples walk with the Lord in a way that is deep and vibrant. And so when we're giving attention to uh, biblical engagement or theological engagement or talking about matters of the church, that that's kind of the overarching why. And underneath this kind of suite of things that we do, this kind of portfolio of things that we do, we run a cohort. We run it twice a year, and it's called the Train of the Church Cohort. And we started this for a very specific reason. And JT, I think this would be a good time for you to jump in and just kind of, sometimes the language we use is pull the fire alarm. Like, why? Why was this cohort started? Why is it urgent? Why do we want people to know that it's something that we're doing together? I love the way you said this up, Kyle, is we have an overarching project that I think the three of us would say even goes beyond our specific vocational mm-hmm. roles mm-hmm. in the context of the local church. Like we've we've been talking about this idea before I was a pastor at Storyline when I was still at TBC and Kyle, the same for you and Jen, same for you. Like our ministry trajectories have not been governed so much by what job can I get, but why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And I think the three of us have realized from different perspectives the same problem over and over and over again, that despite how big a church is and how big their ministry budget is or how small a church is and how small their ministry budget is or how big a staff is or how small a staff is, whatever, 
we are realizing there is a problem in the context of the local church in that it's that it is not producing what we say it should be producing, disciples of Jesus who know and love God well. And so that was our project when we were all at TBC together is it was kind of like God just providentially drawing two brothers and a sister together to say, we see the same problem. We have ideas on how to solve it. Let's let's put our ideas together and come up with a vision for the church that we think is going to help not just that church, mm-hmm. but lots of churches kind of recapture or reinvigorate why they're doing what they're doing. And as we did that, it, when we were all on the same team together at the Institute, we began to realize there are lots of churches that, are, that have that same guttural instinct as we do. How do we make disciples in the context of the local? church because they were writing us and asking us questions and saying, hey, how can we do this too? So that really was really, I mean, before knowing faith was a part of training the church, we said, let's have conversations with churches to help them build similar ministry platforms in the life of their church that are not one-to-one correlations to what we built, but make sense for their context. Yeah. I think that's one of the big things that I'm able to hear is we've had people go through this cohort that are bivocational pastors of churches of, you know, a hundred people. And we've had mega giga huge churches go through this and we help them think about, okay, what does it look like to increase Bible literacy, theological formation, spiritual disciplines in a way that works for their context? So I'll just say this. I think as I thought about this podcast, guys, I'm more committed to that vision Mm -hmm. than I ever have been. Mm -hmm. I kind of wondered if starting the cohort and doing Knowing Faith would like scratch the itch for me, and it hasn't. It's only made it itch more (laughs) because I keep seeing – that's a great, great reference, right? Uh, I keep seeing there is a genuine Mm -hmm. problem. In yeah. churches, and a lot of churches aren't, they're over-promising and under-delivering, mm-hmm. and they know it, and they want to get better. And yes. so I'm, I'm more committed to this than I've, that I've been since we started it. Yeah, I think if you're listening to this and you're thinking about your local church, think about the Great Commission, right, um, that we're to teach others to observe all that He has commanded. And now imagine for just a second that your local church is the last church on planet Earth. It's the last one. Would you be able to pass along the good deposit? Would your church be able to do, as the Old Testament says, have one generation tell the next of the wonderful works of God? Like, would you yourself be able to articulate that? And that's more than just um, the, the information that you might find in a gospel tract. The, the deposit that has been given to us has 2,000 years of church history behind it, and it has a lot of good thought and prayer and practice. Are you able to be a conduit for passing that on to the next generation? Because that's what the Great Commission is calling us to do. And so that is what we are hoping to do is help each local church be able to say, yeah, actually, as far as it's possible with us, we have dispensed of our duty to pass on the deposit that was given to us. So whatever gain you have felt as a believer from Christians who've come before you who have thought hard about doctrine and theology and about um, biblical theology and systematic theology, whatever gain you have had, it's not enough for it to terminate on you. We're each called to pass that along to the next generation. So we see this as a legacy building um, operation mm-hmm. in, it is an act of faithfulness that we would do for those who it's a it's a one another we would do for those who are coming after us what has been done for us 
So that's right. yeah, if you're, if you, can your church do that? Yes. And it's, and it's kind of an institutional answer to what we're trying to address through knowing faith. Mm-hmm. We would hear so much feedback from listeners of knowing faith of like, this is so vital. The brothers, sisters doing biblical and theological engagement together. That's so important. I want to see that in my church. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to start a Bible study. We want to start a training program. We want deep discipleship in the life of our church. We would hear this constantly mm-hmm. from listeners of the podcast. When we would go do speaking somewhere would come up, we would see the comments on social media, we would mm-hmm. get emails about it. And then it became church leaders were reaching out saying, hey, we'd love to come take a look under the hood. Could we come look at this? Could we come think about that? And it just became clear to all of us that knowing faith was kind of addressing the individual, but that we didn't really have like an institutional response to institutions looking to make this a part of their discipleship culture. And the cohort really has become that, which is, okay, maybe you as an individual embedded within the life of a local church have become passionate about deep discipleship and about biblical and theologically rich discipleship in the life of your church. Okay, so what does that mean for your organization? That's why the cohort exists, is to try to address those questions. And I got to tell you, I remember whenever we were communicating this for the first time we did it. So we launched this. If you guys, you guys remember, cause you were there, but maybe the audience doesn't know we launched this in like January of 2020. That was our first run at this. And when we were communicating it ahead of that starting point, we were pulling the fire alarm from a theological and a biblical literacy level. Discipleship, obviously we're not achieving what we've set out to achieve with discipleship. Look at all of these stats on biblical and theologically, uh, theological literacy in the life of a local church. Do you remember that? That's how we would do it. Mm-hmm. That's still true now. But do you know what's become also true? That COVID in the last few years has demonstrated there are huge discipleship gaps that existed in the life of our churches. Mm-hmm. And they played themselves out in social, cultural, and political ways. When I meet with a guy now who wants to talk to me about unity in the life of the church and how that's been tested over the last few years, I always end up bringing that conversation back to discipleship. Mm. Because what I think a lot of people are confusing for unity right now is a fundamental gap in discipleship. And so maybe as a leader in your church, you've been saying, man, it just kind of feels like the last few years have shown some kind of cracks in the foundation as far as unity goes. I would ask you, maybe reconsider that what you're experiencing is not a unity issue. It's a discipleship gap that Mm -hmm. exists for your people in terms of what matters, how it matters, why it matters, and how to practice it. And so I do think that does come back to just the issue of how do we disciple people? Well, I was thinking about how when we were uh, going through COVID in my local church, um, some of the research that sort of bubbled up in a staff meeting was that on the other side of COVID, we should expect that the average church attendee will attend twice a month. Like that's the average. And I mean, you think about that and it's like, yeah, and, and the, the thinking was, yeah, and that's our new normal. And I'm thinking, no, that's not our right. new normal. That is showing us what our normal was before that's COVID, right. because anyone who thinks that true spiritual formation happens by a casual attendance at the gathering exactly right. twice a month um, has completely missed the holistic nature of discipleship. They see it as I dip in and I passively receive preaching twice a month, and that's formation. And so that's a lot of what we have um, wanted to do, especially coming out of COVID and seeing where some of these gaps are, is to say, oh, no, actually, we're seeing what we missed before. It's it's showing itself now right. uh, in ways that we didn't anticipate that, that, that now we can say, yeah, we can't deny that this is an issue. 
Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. JT, your book was kind of, it wasn't the cohort in summary because we do a lot more in the cohort. Uh, and we're going to get into that here in just a minute. But your book was kind of pulling the fire alarm a little bit in written form with like, hey, there's an opportunity slash pressing need in the lives of our churches. As you've talked with leaders who engaged with your book or leaders who are broadly familiar with what you're saying in that book, what has been their response? Have they just been, because I'm, I'm, I'm asking you a softball question because I know what the response has been because I give your book to people and then they tell me, but I'd be curious what you've heard. Have they been like, oh yeah, we got this JT, you're totally misdiagnosing the issue or has the response been different than that? Well, I'll be honest with you. When I first wrote Deep Discipleship, I turned it in March 1st of 2020. COVID hit. And there was articles, you guys will remember them, of like, the church is never going to be the same. Yep. Mm -hmm. Everybody oh, needs yeah. to pivot. You should do it mm -hmm. totally differently. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> like, I, I just wrote a book. <laughs> oh, me. <beep. Yeah. laughs> because you feel that. I think you feel it no matter what. But like, when you write a book and it, and it you, you turn the final version of in 12 days before a global pandemic hits, it was scary for me because I did, mm -hmm. I did have some of those shaky moments of like, is this book going to be totally useless moving forward? I, I had that question. And I just got to say, my experience has been it's the opposite. And I would even double down on some of the things that we were talking about in the book. And and you guys, I feel like we're almost co-authors in the book because we talked about these ideas for mm -hmm. five years before it found itself into book form. And you, you, you so helped me. But every church needs to answer these basic questions. What is a disciple? In this cohort, we, one of the first questions we ask is, how do you define discipleship? Yeah. In most churches look at us like a snow owl. Like yeah. they're just like, mm -hmm. we've never thought about that. We just thought we were mm -hmm. supposed to be a welcoming community or pursuing whatever it might be. And so what we tried to do both in the book and also in this cohort is help churches get really clear about why are we doing this? Like what's the whole point behind this and how can we best accomplish that point? And if the point of a local church is to form people who think, act, worship, love, behave like Jesus, then we should be organizing every single thing we do around being a follower of him, being a disciple of him. And so I think, uh, you know, again, having that moment of extreme fear that I might have, this book might be dated before it hits the shelves. 
it's been the opposite is, is I'm, I'm more committed to this than I have been. And I think mm-hmm. would even, if I were to go back and write the book would probably be even a bit, a bit firmer or stronger in my arguments. Mm-hmm. That's right. So a few of the things that we do in the cohort. So what is the cohort? The cohort is, gosh, it's, it, it takes place over three months. We run it in the fall. We run it in the spring. Prior to COVID, we did it in person, which we actually, we were like, wow, this will be great. What we, what we found out having run it through COVID and then on the other side of COVID is that running it in person was incredibly prohibitive for a lot of people who wanted to participate in it because we were like, you've got to come to us in Texas. So people are paying for flight tickets. They're paying for hotels. Mm -hmm. They're traveling. They're leaving their churches. They're leaving their families. And so after COVID, we were like, you know what? Let's just keep doing this. So we run this. It's all digital. You do it over your computer. We do it via Zoom calls. And we, because of that, we've had participants in uh, Amsterdam, Australia, throughout the U.S. We've had participants in Canada as well. We've had churches that are 50 people in the first year or so as a church plant. And we've had churches that are over 10,000 and are firmly established like very large old churches. We've had churches as old as a century or older and churches that are less than 12 months in. It has spanned the gamut. And we run this, we do it digitally. Jen, JT, and I, we take turns running sessions. And what we do is we we chime in and we kind of speak to some areas of expertise. We each kind of have a lane that we run in, areas where we feel like we have some unique contributions to make, and we run sessions talking about how do you define discipleship? What is your scope? Meaning, what do you think disciples need to know? Sequence, how are they going to learn it? We share some things that we've learned, but rather than you just saying, okay, let me scribble down everything that Jen, JT, and Kyle says, and now we'll go do that exact same thing, we offer you some tools and some exercises, both individually and corporately to help you think through how do you take the broad principles that we've learned and contextualize them. And it's actually been an interesting adventure for us because when we started this cohort, we were all working at the same church, like literally doors away from one another. So it was very uniform. All three of us were running this the exact same way because it was one department. But now Jen has been at another church for years now. JT has been at a church in Colorado. I've been at Mosaic Church and we are all three different churches in terms of our size, our vision, mission, and values. Some of our doctrine is different on small things. Uh, our resources are different. Some of us own buildings. Some of us don't own buildings. Some of us are buildings. I mean, there's so much that's going on. And so because of that, we've had to learn how to contextualize this in conversation with one another. And I think we've gotten really good at helping churches think through how they can contextualize it for their local churches as well. What are some of the other things that we do in the cohort that you guys really enjoy or you think participants find profitable? Well, I think we, we, we press on the notion that, uh, like one of the things that I think JT has done that has really revolutionized the way that I've thought about discipleship is to say re- that we've asked the wrong question. We've said, what, what do our people want instead of how are disciples formed? And so then coaching people through, hey, you actually, as a leader, as someone in your church who's invested in this, y- you you have better eyes on this than the participant does. And if you ask the participant what they want, they're going to ask you for what they're accustomed mm-hmm. to. They don't know what they should want. They don't know how to to raise the bar even uh, on their own. And so we, we can coach you through what does it mean to raise the bar on your students and, um, and, and, you know, and push you past the, the typical, the typical observation that someone will make of, well, our people won't do that. 
Like there is this idea, I think sometimes that that my context means that people will only do X, yeah. Y, and Z. And so uh, one of the things that's been great about doing the cohort now for several years is watching people realize, oh, that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. There are some universal principles that can come into play here where you can raise the bar and people will come toward what you're doing. So, you know, at this point, there's the content of the cohort, which is important, but then there's also the track record of those who have done it, who have said, yeah, actually this, this did work in my context and here's how it was a little different for me than it was yeah. um, for someone else, but the general principles do apply. That's right. JT, what are some of the things you enjoy doing in the cohort? You know, I think one of my concerns about the cohort when we first started it was that it was going to be too theoretical. Like mm-hmm. it's going mm-hmm. to, we're going to give some great ideas. People are going to take notes, have some aha moments and go back to their church mm-hmm. and then kind of say, well, now what? Like, we, we, we were so thankful that, you know, at Storyline and the Village and Mosaic or a couple of those churches that they're doing it. But we, we, and we had a good week with, you know, JT, Jen and Kyle, but we didn't, we didn't actually implement this. One of my the mm-hmm. greatest joys is watching churches do this, like yeah. actually mm-hmm. write their own curriculum or make modifications mm-hmm. to how they do active learning. Maybe they have Sunday school and they change from a passive learning environment to an active learning environment. Maybe they have mm-hmm. groups and they now can more clearly define what a group is supposed to do when they start their institute or residency or whatever it might be. So like, I, I think the thing that I've been most encouraged by over the last four or five years in doing this or four or five seasons is seeing churches say, okay, I'm not supposed to do it the way Storyline's doing it or Mosaic Mm -hmm. is, but I've asked the right question. I've said, what does a disciple need? How do they grow? Where do they go? Uh, How do we get them to learn? And I can actually do that. And so we've had people who are part-time staff members jump into this and make Mm -hmm. genuine changes in their organization or their church and how they're doing that. And then we've had executive teams of, I think the largest one was nine people come through this Mm -hmm. cohort. And change how they're doing things and not do it like we're not giving a playbook. We're helping you and coaching you to ask and answer the right questions in the life of your church. And so it gets down to the nitty gritty for me of watching a church actually change and see the fruit of that in the life of their church. Yeah. And then to, for us to get an email, and it's usually 18 months later. It's not the next week. It's 18 months later. Yeah. They have to go back and mm-hmm. make modifications mm-hmm. and out. wrestle through what it looks like and for them to say, hey, you know, we did the cohort 18 months ago and we just started our first you know, session of core classes and we have 95 people signed up and we have a church of 400 people and a quarter of them are going to come learn the story of the Bible. Like those are the things that I would just say, man, that none of us are passionate about a cohort. We're not like, you know, it's super exciting, a Zoom call with churches. None of us care about that. What we care about is seeing churches change the way they're making disciples in their church and watch the spirit bring fruitfulness into those churches, especially when all the narrative right now around local churches is that they're dying, they're shrinking, they're getting smaller, it's terrible Mm -hmm. out there, Mm -hmm. you know, duck and run for cover and going to medical device sales, which sometimes I'm like, you know what? I should do that. I should should go into (laughs) medical device sales uh, because this is hard. But then to see genuine fruitfulness happen across the globe in some Mm -hmm. of these cases, has just been, man, this is this is something worth doing. That's right. You know how like there are soul-sucking questions that you get when you're reading the Bible and you think no one has ever asked this question before. I think the same thing can be true about these leadership questions that people face because we're all head down in our own church. And so part of what I've loved about the cohort is this sort of the shared, right. we hear some of the same questions mm-hmm. every single time. And I never hear one of those questions again and think, man, people are still asking this question. I think 
this is so great because we we're finally beginning to draw these questions out and address them. Things like, you know, I'm starting with a blank slate. I don't know what to do first. Or uh, I actually have some things that have been here for 40 years. And while the mechanism might be good, the what it's delivering is not. What do I do? Do I shut that down? Mm-hmm. Do I keep it going? You know, some of these are, are, do you only want women together in groups and men together in groups? Do you want uh, everybody to be learning? To, I mean, there are just some basic questions that come up every single time, which I think shows the universality of, of where so many of us are on this. And also, I think should be reassuring if you're considering doing this, that you're probably not going to hit us with a with yeah. a new question. Right. And we love to answer the same questions again, because it means that we're, you know, we're, we're making some inroads into the conversation. That's exactly right. There are good answers. There are good answers. And, you know, I think one, listen, you might be hearing us, you're like, well, of course you guys believe in this. Uh, you guys are running it. And that is the case. I mean, we do believe in this. I would say if you, if you want to hear from some participants, we actually recorded an episode I did with some like graduates and alumni of uh, one of our cohorts. And you can go back and find that in the archives. It's just titled Training the Church Cohort. It was back in November of 2021, episode 165 for those who want to find the number. And you're going to hear from three different people in three very different ministry contexts uh, about how the cohort helped them think through ministry and discipleship in the life of their church. So go check that out. You might be asking, okay, well, who is this actually for? Well, it's principally for those who are leaders in their church. Now, this could be lay leaders. It could also be vocational leaders in the life of a church. But we have found that it's most effective for people who have been given some level of influence, leadership, and stewardship over how the church is thinking through discipleship and spiritual formation in the life of your church. So if that's you as a lay leader, maybe you're an elder or a deacon in the life of your church, a pastor or a minister, and you don't serve vocationally, but you do serve as a lay leader in the life of your church, and you want to help your church, and your church has asked you to help them think through discipleship and formation in your church, you should consider this. If you're somebody who's on staff, we've seen great success with teams, departments coming through this together to think through this as a team. We strongly encourage multiple people from a church to go through it at the same time so that you have some follow through partners. If it's just you, you can feel like I'm just a clanging gong on this one issue that I'm passionate about. But if it's a team of trusted people, that's much more effective at the follow through and the carry out of what you're going to learn in the life of this cohort. And so I just want to give you some next steps. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm interested in this. What can I do? Well, you can go to trainthechurch.com. If you go to trainthechurch.com, you can look up at the very top and it will say cohort. And if you click on that cohort button, it'll pull you down and it will give you the exact structure of the cohort. And then at the bottom, it'll give you two application links. Um, We can't take everybody who applies for every cohort. It is selective just based off of where the team's at, kind of the leadership decisions they're looking to make. Uh, And it is often the case that we have more applicants than we can take for any one cohort. But we do still have some opening for the fall. So if you're thinking, is it too late for me to sign up for the fall? It's not. We'd love to see an application from you and consider not whether or not this is a good fit for us and for your team. Um, but you can find out the entire nine-week schedule right there, what we're covering, what we do in each week. Uh, and then you can see at the bottom of that page an application link to find out more about the cohort. We would really love for you to consider We have a lot of fun. That's the other side of this, that we just, we enjoy getting to do it. I I love getting to spend time with church leaders thinking through these questions. I know JT and Jen do as well. And we think 
that this cohort is a really good setup for a lot of churches that are in a process of looking under the hood. So maybe your church has been thinking through discipleship. Maybe you've been thinking through a ministry shift. Maybe you've been thinking through what is the new year going to hold for us as far as ministry initiatives. The time to do this is not later. It is now. And that's not just because your church is at a unique inflection point. It's because the issue of discipleship and the the, uh, concerns that attend to it are grave and significant, and you can make an incredible difference in the life of your church and how you guys are thinking through discipleship, and we want to help you. And so if you want to find out more about the cohort, you can go to trainthechurch.com. You can go back and look in the archives and hear from some past participants on the Train the Church cohort episode. We would really love to talk about it with you. Um, Am I leaving anything off the table here, JT? I'm looking at you. Anything here that I need to say to bring us home? I don't think so. I mean, we love doing this. Again, we, we, mm-hmm. we would get these. I remember those early days when we were kind of launching the Institute. People would just come visit us and come kind of look and kind of like get the behind the scenes. Let's look at this. This is better than that. Uh, because you don't have to fly somewhere. You don't have to, uh, you know, pack it all into four hours that you might get with us. We want to become coaches for you to help you. And so if you're like, I want to write curriculum, I want to teach the Bible, I want people to grow in their understanding of theology, or or like I'm a church planter and I'm not sure how to, I want to preach, but I'm not sure how to do all this, this whole other thing in the life of the church. And we we just want to come alongside and help Mm -hmm. you. And again, not as experts. The last thing I'll say is we learn in this cohort. We we have the opportunity to think about, oh man, you know, I, I want to think about that. I've not thought about having that kind of ministry in the life of the church. So not only do we want to be practitioners in the life of our churches, we want to be learners still. This is a lifelong journey for us to find how do we be faithful, Jesus-centered leaders in the life of our church. And so come join us. Be a part of this. We, we want to invite you into this ongoing dialogue that is kind of this experiment of knowing faith and training the church, and we would like to have your voice too. That's awesome. Well, uh, we thank you for joining us for some of these summer surprise episodes. We're doing something a little bit different this summer. We're releasing a few surprise episodes and some Knowing Faith Remix episodes. So we hope you've been enjoying those. Next week, I will sit down for a brief interview with Dan Darling. So tune in for that. And uh, the fall season kicks off at the end of August. And we are going to be tracing biblical and theological themes from the book of Exodus through the rest of the story of scripture, which is going to be really fun, really exciting. It's not just the conventional line by line through Exodus, although that would be a worthwhile endeavor. This is going to be a little bit more high level as we take themes in Exodus and we trace them throughout the rest of the story. We're really excited about that. If you want to find out more about- I thought we about- were doing 1 Samuel again. Whew, <laughs> wow. I, you, that's, you want to trigger me? You just did it. Uh, I go back and listen to those episodes like the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, just like totally lost and confused as to where I was. I, had the best time. I know you did. Sorry, I had know. to drag you all through God's word. It's true. Um, it's okay, it's, we forgive you. It never returns void is what I kept telling myself. Uh, but uh, if you want to find out more about the cohort, you can go to trainthechurch.com. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace. Grace and peace.